0: On the imperfection of the geological record, the wording of which starts I enumerated the chief objections which might be justly urged against the views maintained in this volume. Darwin despaired at the imperfection of the geological record and the fossiliferous evidence to support his theory, as geological strata evidence did not confirm it. He goes on to say, but I do not pretend that I should ever have suspected how poor a record of the mutations of life the best preserved geological section presented, had not the difficulty of our not discovering innumerable transitional links between the species which appeared at the commencement and close of each formation pressed so hardly on my theory. He goes on to say, there is another and allied difficulty, which is much graver. To the question why we do not find the records of these vast primordial periods, I can give no satisfactory answer. In Forbidden Archaeology, The Hidden History of the Human Race by Michael A. Cramer and Richard L. Thompson, the point of the incompleteness of the fossil record is further advanced. The authors state that the standard idea is that the fossil record reveals a basic history, true in outline even though not known in every detail but that this might not at all be the case. Can we really say with complete certainty that humans of a modern type did not exist in distant bygone ages? They suggest that out of the six million years of human life, only 100,000 years may be represented by surviving strata. In the unrecorded 5.9 million years, there is time for even an advanced civilization to have come and gone, hardly leaving a trace. This line of thought is taken up further in chapters 2 and 3. Cramo and Thompson go on to say that Darwin's appeal to the incompleteness of the fossil record served to explain the absence of evidence supporting his theory, that it was basically a weak argument. Admittedly, many key events in the history of life probably have gone unrecorded in the surviving strata of the Earth, But whilst these unrecorded events might support the theory of human evolution, they might perhaps radically contradict it. In chapter 12 of Darwin's text on geographical distribution, we find a further difficulty when he states, "...the capacity of migrating across the sea is more distinctly limited in terrestrial mammals." But if the same species can be produced at two separate points, why do we not find a single mammal common to Europe and Australia or South America? Undoubtedly, many cases occur in which we cannot explain how the same species could have passed from one point to the other. This is particularly intriguing as author Graham Hancock in his book Supernatural claims that Australia was never populated by any other hominid species and was colonized by anatomically modern humans at an astonishingly early date, possibly as early as 60,000 years ago and perhaps as far back as 75,000 years ago. As well as making the immense overland journey from their home in Africa, apparently over very few generations and perhaps even within one generation, these pioneering humans were finally obliged to mount a feat of open ocean sailing to reach Australia from Southeast Asia. The mystery deepens when we realise that the earliest evidence for the presence of modern humans in Southeast Asia, the overland route that migrants from Africa would have had to follow, dates back less than 40,000 years. That is, at least 20,000 years after the arrival of modern humans in Australia. Bill Bryson, in his book A Short History of Nearly Everything, suggests that Homo erectus spread across the globe with breathtaking speed. He suggests, rather amusingly, that if you take fossil evidence literally, it suggests that some members of the species reached Java at about the same time as, or even slightly before they left Africa. On this subject of migration, there is contradiction among scientific theorists. There was and still remains the multi-regional hypothesis proffered in the 1930s versus the single-origin hypothesis or out-of-Africa theory, which was initiated in the 1990s with the advent of archaeogenetics. Both hold true today, dependent on which paleoanthropologist one might speak to. Another area in which Darwin's theory stumbles is that of the occurrence of homosexuality. As Richard Dawkins comments, obviously there is no difficulty in explaining the Darwinian advantage of sexual behaviour. It is about making babies, even on those occasions where contraception or homosexuality seems to belie it. Although such simplicity is typical of Dawkins, he does, however, have a point. Darwin, natural selection, survival of the fittest for the purposes of procreation... How then are there a seemingly increased numbers of homosexuals, and if not increased, why do they exist at all today? In Darwin's last chapter, Recapitulation and Conclusion, he voices some of the doubts he had on the absence of links between the living and now extinct species and the lack of any scientific evidence of this in the fossilized geological formations. Modern commentators have added to these doubts. Even the world-renowned paleoanthropologist Louis B. Leakey said in answer to a question about the missing link in 1967, there is no one link missing, there are hundreds of links missing. Leakey unswervingly upheld Darwin's theory of evolution and was assiduous in his endeavor to prove that man originated in Africa. Despite this evolutionist stance, Leakey was a religious man and a Christian who said, Nothing that I have ever found has contradicted the Bible. It is people with their finite minds who misread the Bible. Independent researcher and author Alan Alford has posed valid questions on this subject. On man's mutation over six million years, he is scathing in his comments. In his book, Gods of the New Millennium, we find... How do we explain the 2% but significant difference between man and chimpanzee, This split which occurred 5 to 7 million years ago, according to experts? The same percentage difference exists between dog and wolf, and the animals are very similar. There is more genetic difference between a zebra and a horse, a dolphin and a porpoise. How can our 2% account for so many value-added features in mankind? We also find... It is impossible to pinpoint a single example of a species, of which there are some 30 million on Earth today, which has recently, or at least within the last half a million years, improved by mutation or divided into two species. Yet mankind is supposed to have benefited from several macro mutations in the course of six million years. Other sources of scepticism on the lack of evidence from discovered human remains have come from other authorities and authors. Bill Bryson in his book mentions his discussion with the curator of the American Museum of Natural History in New York on the shortage of evidence pertaining to the total world archive of hominid and early human bones. The problem appears to be that, since the beginning of time, several billion human or human-like beings have lived each contributing a genetic variability to the total human stock. Out of this vast number, the whole of our understanding of human history is based on the often fragmentary remains of perhaps 5,000 individuals. The curator added informally that you could fit it all into the back of a pickup truck if you didn't mind how you jumbled it all up. Ryson goes on to say that all Homo erectus, if brought back to life, would not fill a bus, and of Homo habilis that they are just two partial skeletons and a number of isolated limb bones. There are hominid skulls in Georgia, dated to 1.7 million years ago, then a gap of almost a million years before the next turns up in Spain, then another 300,000 years before Homo heidelbergensis in Germany, and none of them look much like the other. It is from these kinds of fragmentary pieces of evidence that we are trying to work out the entire history of the species. Some don't deserve to be regarded as a separate species at all. In a similar way to the doubts expressed about the missing link, Darwin called the origin of the flowering plants an abominable mystery the missing link between the primitive, non-flowering, asexual plant has never been found nor identified. Despite the criticism of his theory, I find in Darwin, and from the comments I have mentioned, a man of doubt, a man of modesty and honesty, He would surely have been at very least bemused at the notion that his theories, imperfect as they were, and by his own admission, now form an integral, uncompromising and definitive foundation of our education today, with little advance on his theory and the same enduring initial objections raised against it.